here with us this morning. It's um, fantastic to have you. I'm glad that you could come and um, experience this uh, a little bit of the fellowship that we get to experience um, day in and day out here in God's church. I do want to welcome some um, new campus students that we've got visiting with us. They're here for our internship. So if you're here for the campus internship, go ahead and stand up. Let everybody see who you are. Really great to have you guys. They'll be here for how long, Dwayne? Like a month or so? For four weeks, they're here to, um, well, intern. um, See what it's like to be in the ministry and for sure to help out our campus ministry and to help out the church. Also want to thank any and all of you who have volunteered to um, house these guys at your homes and feed you guys. Uh, Thank you so much for helping out the campus ministry in this way. I mean, it really, really does help out and goes a long way. And by the way, um, we announced the tickets for the Tides baseball game. Uh, Morgan is not here, but Takara is. And Takara is going to be selling the tickets for us. And she's right down here in the front row. So be sure you see her instead of Morgan. We've also got a campus brother who's visiting from Hong Kong. Is he here, Dwayne? Yes, there he is right back there. Stand up, let us see. There you are. And his name is Mark, Mark Chow, right? Yes, awesome. Great to have you. Okay, um, how many of you guys got something in the mail in the last couple of days? Yeah, what you um, would have or should have gotten, if you haven't gotten it yet, you're going to be getting it on Monday, is the, um, the, the little form that you filled out at the beginning of the year. I'm asking, what do you think the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do in 2019? And uh, I hope that as you open that, I mean, you saw your own handwriting on there. Hopefully, as, as you opened it, you were reminded by the great things that God wants to do in your life and through your life in 2019. Let's not forget those great things, because it was a great idea five months ago, right? It's still a great idea today. So let's be praying about those things. Uh, We are in John chapter 6 this morning. If you could turn with me there. This is a popular story of the disciples um, in a violent storm on the Sea of Galilee. As As I read this passage, I was reminded, I don't know if you remember, was it last year? It was about a year ago. In Branson, Missouri, on Table Rock Lake, uh, there was a a duck boat accident, kind of like a pontoon boat. They call them duck boats. And um, this uh, storm had come up incredibly just suddenly as they were there on the lake. The um, National Weather Service had uh, issued a a warning and an advisory. And um, according to the people that were there, they said that the wind picked up. uh, They gave the storm warning and then a massive straight line of winds just came out of nowhere. And so the warning was issued at 6.32 in the evening, and in less than 30 minutes, they were already receiving phone calls of people who had drowned in this accident. That's how fast it happened. 
A weather official said that the storm entered the area with wind gusts of 75 miles an hour, and they were followed by heavy rain and lightning. Uh, 17 people died in that accident. Um, nine of them were all a part of the same family. The same family. Uh, the storms of life can be frightening. And I just ask you uh, briefly to put yourself in that situation and ask yourself how aware of God you would be in that situation. How mindful of God would you be? Some, maybe you'd be incredibly mindful. Maybe you'd be praying the whole way through. Um, Others, maybe you'd just be scrambling to try to rescue your children or maybe trying to save your own life. I don't know. But uh, consider that in moments of terror and panic, how aware of God we are or aren't in those moments. Again, here in the Gospel of John, uh, the first half of John's Gospel is built around these seven signs or seven miracles whose purpose is to bring people to belief in Jesus Christ. We've looked at miracle number one, which was in Cana, Jesus turning water into wine in John chapter 2. The second miracle was at the end of John chapter 4. That was the healing of the official son. That was kind of a long-distance miracle. The man had come asking for healing for his son. Jesus said, basically, go, and when you get there, your son will be healed. And when he got there, indeed, his son was healed. The third miracle was the healing of the invalid at the pool in Bethesda. That was in John chapter 5, and this started a conflict, uh, a period of of, of tension in Jesus' ministry. And two weeks ago, Dwayne... Uh, preached the fourth miracle in the beginning of John chapter 6 on the multiplication of the bread or the feeding of the 5,000. This happened with uh, just five loaves of bread and two fish, and they had 12 basketfuls of food left over. Great um, doggy bags to take home to to your family. Uh, This afternoon, we're going to look at miracle number five, and that is Jesus walking on the water. The um, central idea is that no matter how bad your circumstances are, there's no need to fear when Jesus is present. No need to fear when Jesus is present, no bad or no matter how bad your circumstances are. And the title of the lesson this morning is A Powerful Presence. Pray with me. Father in heaven, Uh, You're a God who has control over all things. You control our lives. You control nature. You control the the storms and the winds. And Father, who has more power than you? We're simply uh, just here. We're, we're, I don't even know how to say it. We're we're submissive to you. Uh, We are uh, subservient to you. We take our cues from you. We look to you for our our life and our health and our strength. We don't do any of these things on our own. We we look to your hand to to feed us every day. And God, we're under your control. We're we're under your mighty power and under your mighty hand. Help us to see that this morning and every every day of our lives. Help us to see how uh, utterly in, in desperate need we are of you and how dependent we are upon you. Help us to trust in your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to uh, realize that uh, your presence, his presence, has such a powerful impact in our lives. And when we are aware of what you're doing in our lives, then we don't need to worry. We can be at peace. 
We don't need to be afraid. Strengthen us through your word this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. John chapter 6, just a, a short section of, of text here where John relays this miracle. But beginning in verse 14, John says, After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, referring to the feeding of the 5,000, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. So as we uh, read this short passage, the people who had eaten were impressed by what they had just seen and what they had experienced by Jesus feeding so many people. And after they saw that, they say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, why did they say that? It was because Jesus perfectly fit the prophecy of Deuteronomy chapter 18, where Moses himself says in verse 15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. And in verse 18 of Deuteronomy 18, it says, I will, this is God speaking, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, referring to Moses, from among their fellow Israelites. And I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. And so Jesus was like Moses. Moses miraculously gave manna from heaven. Jesus also miraculously gave bread to eat. And they got the prophecy right. Jesus was the prophet to be raised up from amongst the Israelites, but they got the reaction wrong. They tried to force Jesus to be their king. And Jesus wasn't there to be their political king. Jesus was there to be their spiritual king. And so that's what they got wrong. And so Jesus goes off and it says that he went up um, again up to, the, up to the mountain. I'm looking for the verse here. Uh, verse 15. Jesus uh, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. He had left the twelve. Now originally he crossed the Sea of Galilee with the twelve. The whole point and purpose was that he was trying to get away because John the Baptist had just been killed. And so Jesus told the twelve, hey, come with me, let's get some rest. They crossed the Sea of Galilee, they were going to go up to the mountain and just kind of have a little retreat, but all the people found them, and so he ends up feeding all those 5,000, well, it was much more than 5,000 people, 5,000 men. And so after he gets done doing that, then Jesus says, well, I'm going to go back up to the mountain where I was to do what I was going to do, which was go pray. And so when evening comes, the disciples go down to the lake, to head back to Capernaum. And John begins to build this tension as he quickly unfolds the story. Look again, John chapter 6, verse 16. When evening came, what happens when evening comes? It gets dark, right? 
his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was what? Dark. And Jesus had not yet joined them. That's kind of like he was supposed to join them. They had expected him to join them, but he hadn't joined them yet. It's kind of like, uh-oh, right? A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. You're reading the story you're like, oh man, I don't see nothing but bad stuff happening here. When they had rowed about three or four miles, which is a long way to row, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. That's a lot of rowing to do in the dark, in a storm, with the wind blowing. Now, I grew up on the mighty banks of the Ohio River, and we would buy rubber rafts. I was a teenager. We'd buy rubber rafts. And we went from the hardware store and we'd go and we'd paddle across the Ohio River. And at, and at Louisville, Kentucky, the Ohio River is at its widest. It's about one mile from shore to shore, from Indiana to Kentucky. And we would paddle and paddle and you have to fight the current to get across. And you got to dodge the speedboats and the steamboat that hit us one time almost. Didn't hit us, almost hit us one time. But we got across and we were tired. And we were like, maybe we should call our parents to come get us. <laughs> we don't have to row the other way. And we thought we better not do that because then they're going to beat us because we weren't supposed to be paddling across the Ohio River in the first place. My whole point is that rowing three or four miles is incredibly hard in a windy storm at night. But when you're in a, in a tough situation, you begin to wonder, what am I doing out here? How did I get myself into this? This is really crazy. And why did I make the decision to do this in the first place? And then as, you, as your thoughts begin to devolve and you begin to get angry, perhaps, then it always goes back to, and whose fault is this anyway? And I'm sure they would have thought, this is Jesus' doing. Jesus told us to get in this boat and go back to Capernaum. He sent me out here. He just fed 10,000 some odd people. And he doesn't even know the weather forecast. Doesn't even know that it's about to rain. But Jesus did know what he was sending them into. And he was doing it for a reason. Have you ever been in situations where it feels like there's this one bad thing after another? Like Monday is bad. Then Tuesday is bad. Then Wednesday is bad. <laughs> Man, like I can't win for losing around here. That's what was going on with these guys. And then in the darkness, as all of this happens, they see the strangest thing. Like, and if you could imagine being, you know, on a big giant lake and you're in a boat, you're going like up and down. It's dark and there couldn't have been much sun, not definitely no sunlight, but no moonlight, no stars. I mean, there's a storm going on and you're just kind of going. The Navy guys, I'm sure they know what it's like to be rocking on the sea. And, and then like on the horizon, you kind of see this, this head like <laughs> bobbing up and down and you're like, What's going on? And then it kind of gets bigger and you're like, oh, whoa. And that's like, it's headed my way. Like it, it wasn't going like that. It was like coming like this. And they were frightened. What's going on here? For the Jew, the sea was ominous. 
It symbolized darkness and chaos. There's many psalms that talk about the sea like boiling and, and broiling. And for, for a Jewish person, this, the sea was not like a positive image. They did a lot of sailing and that kind of thing, but it was not a positive image to be around the sea, especially at night in the middle of the storm. And so they don't know who it is that's approaching them. They don't know what it is that's approaching them. Matthew and Mark in their Gospels both say that they thought that it was a ghost. I mean, what else are you going to think? Middle of the night, something's coming to you on the water, right? Um, I don't know what you're going to think. But the story peaks with this frightened response of the gospel, of, of, I'm sorry, of the disciples. Verse 19 again. They saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. And Jesus calms everything down as he reveals himself and says, It is I. Don't be afraid. In the Greek, he says, I am, I am. Don't be afraid. And I don't know about you, if you've read those other accounts in Matthew's gospel and John's gospel, you might wonder, why is it that John chose to leave out so many juicy details of this story? I mean, he just blows through it in like five verses, and then he kind of jumps back into Jesus being the bread of life. He doesn't get into all the good stuff that happened in the story. He doesn't tell us that Jesus compelled the disciples, right, to get into the boat, go to Capernaum. He doesn't tell us that Jesus sent the multitude away so that he could go and pray on the mountain. He leaves out Mark's comments that say that Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars. Mark says that. John didn't put that in there. Mark says that Jesus intended to pass them by as he walked on the water. Like, what y'all doing out here? <laughs> John doesn't say that the disciples thought that they were seeing a ghost. It just says that they were frightened. He doesn't mention Peter walking on the water. That's like major. Peter got to walk on the water and then he sees the wind and the waves. He begins to sink and Jesus reaches out his hand. I mean, that's like an epic story there. He doesn't tell us that the storm was instantly stilled when Jesus got into the boat. And it's puzzling why John, who, whose focus in his gospel is for us to believe that Jesus is the son of God. He leaves out their confession in Matthew chapter 14, where they say, truly, you are the son of God. John doesn't offer any comment as to why he includes this story or why he includes it here. He just gives it in this compressed form and he gets back to talking about Jesus being the bread of life. And so why did John include this miracle? What does he want us to take away from this miracle? Matthew had his point. Mark had his point. John has his point. And they all three might be the same exact story, but they're all driving at different points. I think part of it is the miracle that Jesus was this prophet who came after Moses, a super Moses of sorts. Jesus gave the bread from heaven. He demonstrated his control over the Red Sea, or Moses did, sorry, as he parted it and Israel walked through on dry ground. Jesus supplies the bread for the multitude. He has control over the Sea of Galilee. He walks 
on the sea. And this is symbolizing a new exodus, in a sense, through his ministry. And not just the comparison to Moses, but his power over one of Israel's greatest fears, which is the sea. Since this was a private miracle amongst just those men, Jesus was using it as a training exercise. Maybe John was trying to highlight that. But I think if if you look at it, really, the story is just laser focused on just one thing. It's not cluttered with all the different juicy details. It's just one thing that John wants us to get out of this miracle. And that is the presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus. Because that's all that really happens in the whole miracle. There's a bad situation on the lake. Jesus shows up and they reach the shore. That's it. And John wanted us to look just at that. How the mere presence of Jesus is powerful and securing. It is I. Don't be afraid. There's so many things to be afraid of in life. Afraid of messing up. Afraid of what others can do to us. Afraid of what others will do to us. Fear of how a situation is going to turn out. Afraid of being physically harmed. Fear of not getting the grade that we want. The job that we want. The spouse that we want. Not getting into the school that we want. These guys were afraid. Jesus says, don't be afraid. I'm here. I'm here. It doesn't matter how bad it gets. I'm sure Jesus would have said, when I'm with you, you don't have to fear and I will bring you to your intended destination. I will get you there. And looking at a thing after it's done is different than looking at the thing before it's happened. Right? There's lots of fear before you ride the roller coaster. When you're driving up 64 and you see it and you're like, oh boy, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. You feel like passing out before you even step inside the theme park. You get in line and right, the butterflies are going like, I don't know if I'm even going to make it through this thing. But once you're done, you're like, well, yeah, I mean, it was really creepy, but it wasn't that bad. You see what I'm saying? It wasn't worth the hour worth of fear and drama because now I'm looking back on the situation. Do you see what I'm saying here? When you go for a job interview, you're like, oh boy, I better say the right thing. I better wear the right clothes. And you know, how do I best phrase my job performance in such a way? You know, what's my greatest weakness? Well, I, I tend to work too much. You know, like you've got like All this stuff because the fear and the anxiety is there. And then after the interview, you leave the office and you're like, well, it actually wasn't that bad. Looking at something from the, in hindsight, is different from looking at it before it happens. Many times our fears are unwarranted. And God always has a way of bringing us through. 
And that's how it was for these guys. Lots of fear that night on the water. But Jesus shows up and they get to shore. The next day, they probably look back and thought, what were we so afraid of? We knew that Jesus was going to get us out of this somehow. And you know, I suppose heaven will be the same way. When we get there, we're going to look back and we're going to consider the powerful presence of Jesus Christ in our lives. And we're going to wonder, what were we so afraid of? What was all of that anxiety about? Doesn't Paul talk about our light and momentary troubles, right? And now here we are basking in God's glory. We've got the rest of eternity And you know what? Those 60, 80, however many years we spent on earth, it was nothing. It was nothing. God got us through. And how does it happen? Not by our strength, not by our skill, not by our discipline, but simply because Jesus was there. Simply because Jesus was with us. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. John 14, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you and help you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. He's not going anywhere. In our favorite, Psalm 23, yea, I got to read the King James. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thy are with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He's with us. No reason to fear. And so in our situations that bring up fear. You probably have some that you're thinking about for this upcoming week. Things that you're afraid of. Let's remember that Jesus is with us through his Holy Spirit. That he's not going anywhere. And his mere presence in our lives is powerful. Let's not be fearful. Let's be faithful. Second point, let him in the boat. Let him in the boat. I don't know if you caught it, But there is a practical and simple thing that changed what happened to them that night. Did you catch it? It's in verse 21. It says, then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were headed. Now, it wasn't until they were willing to let him aboard that they got ashore. So if they would have just continued to let him stay out there, they wouldn't have gotten to where they wanted to go. Now, Jesus was there, right? His presence is powerful, but they had to let him in the boat. And it was only once he got in the boat that they were able to get to the other side. Now, some say that it's a figure of speech here. It says immediately the boat reached the shore where they were headed. Some say it's a figure of speech that the sea grew calm and made it easier for them to row. So they got there like quickly, uh, pseudo, you know, immediately. Or some say it was actually a miracle. He got in the boat and poof, there they were on the other side. I don't know. You can choose whichever you want. It's totally fine. No big deal. 
I just know that we've got to let Jesus into our boat. I know that. And you say, well, why wouldn't anyone let Jesus into their boat? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, if I'm like out in the middle of a lake somewhere, I'm about to drown and Jesus is right there. And he's like, well, it is I, you know, don't be afraid. Who's going to say, no, I don't want you in my boat. Nobody's going to do that, right? Only when we let fear control us to the point that we can't recognize that it's Jesus. Only to the point where panic has stricken us so much that we can't see God working. Have you ever been there before? I know I've been there many times before. In particular, when it comes to finances, I didn't grow up with a whole lot of money. I grew up with my, my mom and we didn't have like anything. And so events that are financially large in my life tend to be times where I get frightened and I just can't see Jesus anymore. I'm just kind of walking around blind. Like, where are you? And I don't know. I'm not saying you got to be like me in that area, but maybe there's other areas in your lives where you feel a similar way. This almost happened to these guys in the boat. Jesus had to tell them, guys, it's me. It's me. Because they're like, looking. I mean, who else is going to be walking on the water, right? It ain't your mom. It's Jesus. But they're so panic-stricken, so frightened, so terrorized, that they could barely figure it out who it was. He had to reveal himself, expose himself, tell them, it's me. It's Jesus. Don't be afraid. And so sometimes we're so fearful, it's hard to know it's him, no matter how clear he makes it. We still think it's a ghost, and we don't let him in the boat. But it's him. The situation is from him. He wasn't only saying, it's me, this is my person, my body. They're wondering, why is all of this going on? He's saying, it is I. Like, it's me. I'm doing this. I'm allowing this to happen. I'm putting you in this situation, right? It's for a reason. Jesus wants us to not give in to fear. And he wants us to trust him and let him come on board. Are you afraid this afternoon? Afraid of something that might happen this week, this month, this year? Is it a ghost to be frightened by? Or is it Jesus increasing your faith? We worry about finances. We're afraid of our children. Are our children going to turn out right? Am I going to be able to pay that bill? All the different things that we are are worried and frightened about. And we can think that it's a ghost. And when we think that something's a ghost, I don't know about you, I tend to run the other way, right? I'm not running to the ghost, I'm running away from the ghost. We got to ask ourselves, is this a ghost or is this Jesus? And I can almost guarantee it's Jesus doing something great in our lives, increasing our faith, and we've got to let him into the boat.
If you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ and you're living in fear, put your trust in Jesus. Jesus went through the most frightening situation ever when he went to the cross. He was in Gethsemane and prayed three times that God would not put him through what he went through. But he went, he died, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day to prove that there's nothing to fear. And so don't be afraid. Follow Jesus. Repent. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. The Lord is present. His presence is powerful. More powerful than the storms that we fear. Don't be afraid. Let him in the boat. Don't be so overcome with fear that you miss Jesus and what he's doing. Let him into the boat and you'll get to the shore. And you'll look back and you'll be in awe at the powerful presence of Jesus Christ in your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to invite up um, some people at this time. We've got um, two people who are getting baptized this morning. One of them is a... uh, beautiful young woman named Tamika who's going to be coming up here to the front. 